Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today on An Actor Despairs, we have creator and writer Tom Fontana, accompanied by actor Dean Winters. You may know Tom as the creator and writer of shows such as Homicide Life on a Street, Oz, HBO's first piece of original content ever, and his new show, City on a Hill. Here's our conversation. Tom Fontana, Dean Winters. Hello. Yes, Welcome indeed. to An Actor Despairs. Thank you for being here. <laughs> it's great to be here. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for having us. It means a lot. Yeah, I had Dean on the podcast, and he spoke so highly of you and your relationship together, so it's awesome to finally- I give him $100 yeah. every time he says something nice about me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I'm still waiting for, for my 100 to, uh, today. You mean for what you're going to say today? Yeah. Well, I got to wait and see what you say. If, if I were you, I would give it to me now. Wow. This is going to get ugly. I can feel it. <laughs> so, Tom, you know, when, when the history books are written, man, you know, it's going to be your name, Barry Levinson, and David Simon about modern television. It wouldn't be without you and what you did, starting with Homicide Life on a Street. Wow. That's and very very nice of you to say. It, yep. it, it's a real honor because I, I have so much gratitude for what you've done because you you did things 20 years ago now. You know, I, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but, you know, people are praising shows like Euphoria. And I'm like, well, Oz was doing that in 1999, you know, and it's so badass, but I'm, I have so many questions, but I usually like to start at the beginning. You grew up in Buffalo, right? I did in the great, great city of Buffalo. How was that? Um, well, um, it was in the 50s when America still was uh, flexing from World War II. And so the, the city was doing great. And then uh, over the course of time, it sort of um, uh, lost its way. And oddly enough, now it's having a renaissance. The city is uh, truly extraordinary. Um, so I'm, I consider myself very blessed because I've lived in Manhattan now for uh, 40 some years. Um, but I feel like I'm happy. I have two homes. I have this, I live in the greatest city in the world yeah. and, and I can also go back to Buffalo and have a whole different rhythm in my life. And were your parents in the arts at all or was that? No, something? no. My father was a beer salesman and my mother ran an OBGYN clinic at a hospital. And in fact, when I told him I was moving to New York to be a playwright, my father said to me, what's a playwright? <laughs> so it was, a, it was a bit of a, but they were incredibly supportive. And the truth is, I wouldn't be sitting here today if they hadn't been as supportive as, as they were. And, and how was playwriting? Was that something that kind of naturally you felt is the medium for your expression? Or It, it was the thing, you know, uh, there weren't a lot of television uh college television uh, classes back then. So theater was really the only uh, means that I had to express myself. And um, while I was in New York, I was the uh, most unsuccessful playwright in, of my generation. <laughs> so I'm very proud of that. You, uh -huh. you, you dabbled in acting a bit for a minute there too, didn't I, you? I never seriously. Yeah. I, I act in a play every seven years, uh, not to prove that I can act, but to prove uh, to myself how difficult it is for other people who do act right. to do what they do as well as they do. Amazing. And then you got a job. It was St. Elsewhere was your first television. That's right. And how was that working on something like, you know, because it's so different now that that job was that kind of your did you have a mentor that took you under your I wing? Did, uh, Bruce Paltrow, uh, who's since passed away, was my um, 
was my mentor, my rabbi, my best friend. Uh, he taught me not only how to write for television, but he also taught me how to produce for television. And he, um, he was just, uh, he was amazing and he changed my life. Uh, um, so I'm eternally grateful to him. And at that moment, you knew that television would be your medium versus going back to playwriting at yeah, yeah. It's it seemed like I had a much more instinctive uh, understanding of television. I guess because I'd been watching it since I was uh, a baby. Um, so I I uh, I got into it, you know, uh, pretty intensely. And the great thing was, um, Saint Elsewhere was at the same studio, MTM Enterprises, Mary Tyler Moore Enterprises, and. Um, uh, as Hill Street Blues and Lou Grant, some of the some of the great hour dramas of that period, and so you know, I was very lucky that I wasn't you know at the Dukes of Hazards. Um, <laughs> I, I was at I was at a I was at a place where they respected writers and they expected writers to take huge chances, uh, which we did on on elsewhere every every week. And then how did how did the novel Homicide Life on a Street come come to you? Well, it actually went to Barry Levinson, who I did not know at the time. You guys are uh, not partnered just yet. No, not at yeah. all. And they sent it to him as a to do as a feature, and he read it and he said, Oh, there's too much here to do in two hours. This should be a television series. And he happened to have just made a deal with NBC to do a series. Um, and back then, you know, feature directors, Oscar winning feature directors did not, uh, work in television. It was, uh, it was sort of a, you know, you didn't, you just didn't do that. But Barry is a storyteller first and foremost. And he instinctively knew that this book, uh, belonged on television. Um, and so, um, they said to him, well, you have to find a showrunner. And, um, he met with lots of people and, um, somebody said, well, there's Fontana's in New York. Why don't you meet with Fontana? And we, um, we sat down and we talked and, uh, um, and then we became partners and we've been, uh, partners ever since. Amazing. And, and what was that like? Because, you know, obviously what you created with Oz led to David Simon's The Wire and things like that. You, you took him under his wing, under your wing. Yeah. He got, he got, uh, downsized or outsourced or whatever it was, uh, at the Baltimore Sun where he was a reporter for yeah. many years. And he came to me, you know, we had, we had obviously, uh, established a relationship due to the, uh, us buying the book, but, um, uh, he came to me and he said, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to write for television since I'm not going to be a, a newspaper reporter anymore. And, uh, and I said, sure, absolutely. Because his knowledge of Baltimore and the, and the whole world that we were trying to depict was so amazing that, uh, I'd have been an idiot to say no. Yeah. And and I'm so curious because that show, you know, it, it's so cool in the sense that it's not the Law and Order cop show. You know, it's introspective. And did you have an idea of kind of being like, was it hard on a network like that having a show that didn't fall into the normal cliches of a, you know, kind of procedural type drama? Yeah, I mean, it it um, uh, <laughs> NBC went from being ecstatic about the show in concept. 
uh, to the point of our premiere being after the Super Bowl, um, to being incredibly nervous about it because of the handheld camera and the desaturated colors and the sort of brutality, not brutality, but honesty of the storytelling. Um, so they went from being thrilled uh, to being terrified um, and trying to get us to fix the show. Wow. Um, and we were resistant to it, obviously, because um, Barry and I liked what we were doing. Yeah, it's an incredible show. So um, so we, we resisted that. And um, for whatever reasons, they kept picking it up. But I think only because they had nothing else to put on in its place. <laughs> And uh, oh, Robin Williams did it, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, th- that was the thing. I mean, um, we were very lucky with that, with the actors, not only in the cast who were brilliant, um, Andre Brower and, and, uh, Kyle Secor and, yeah. uh, Melissa Leo. Um, and, you know, just saying those names, that means that whoever I didn't mention is going to call me tomorrow. <laughs> I'll, I'll redub this. Don't worry. We'll yeah, get them back add, in. Add all yeah, the names. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, but we had, we had wonderful, uh, wonderful guest stars, primarily drawn from the acting community in Washington, D.C. and in New York City. And I, I'd like to talk to you about your style of writing because it was so, it's, it was so ahead of its time. And I, and I, I mean this sincerely in the way that, you know, Shakespeare or Ibsen or any of these playwrights, Pinter changed the way people perceive you know, naturalism and realism could be depicted when you started, like, how did the Oz concept come together? You, it came together while you were working on the show still, didn't it? Yes, yes. Well, first of all, let me say, one of the things Bruce said to me was, um, I'm paying uh, retail and you're giving me wholesale when he read my first script. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want, I don't want television. I want Fontana. Yeah. And that liberated me in the sense of uh, being able to go like, well, then I'm just going to tell the stories I want to tell. So, uh, which carried over into Homicide. And then um, with Oz, um, first of all, we were doing these shows where um, we didn't always get the bad guy, but we sometimes got the bad guy and we sometimes sent them to prison. Um, One of whom was played by... Dean Winters. Yeah, well, let's talk about that because Dean and you first met on Homicide, right? That because you you gave him that first yeah, role. We, we didn't meet on Homicide. Sorry, I, I, I gave him the job because we had met in the bar. bar. Let's talk about that because Dean spoke about that on the podcast. I heard you hop behind a bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you have to understand something. I grew up. Uh, uh, we lived above my grandmother's bar. Okay, so. The most comfortable place for me to be is behind a bar. Huh. Uh, so, and Dean was very busy and I didn't want to bother him. I'd asked him a couple of times and he had ignored me. <laughs> and uh, so I just went, well, you know, I'll just make my own drink. It's really simple. Put ice in a glass and pour bourbon. It's not that hard. <laughs> yeah. So Anyway, but. Um, and and then the friendship blossomed from that bar. Yeah. Yeah, well, basically, so what you know, so we became fast friends, and then um, for my thirtieth birthday, as a as a birthday present to me, Tom's like, "Listen, I'm I'm going to write you a part uh, as a guest star on Homicide," and I turned him down. I said, "No," and he's like, "Excuse me," I said, "Yeah, I, I'm I'm not ready yet. I'm still like, 
you know, getting my feet wet. I'm still like finishing up class, you know, yada, yada, yada. So I spent the next year, he and I, you know, groomed our friendship over the next year. And then a year later, I did it. And I you was, were at Esper, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a year later, I did my first episode of Homicide, and I was fucking horrible. Like, you, ah. I mean, no, I, he no, 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 he I was. I, no, I was. If you watch it, it's like, it's cringeworthy. <laughs> so I probably should have taken the job a year earlier because <laughs> I couldn't have been any worse. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, here's why what he's saying is not true because Jimmy Ashimura, who was one of the writer producers on the show, yeah. and probably the best writer, one of the best writers in the history of television, um, Dean did the guest star part in which he was not uh, the killer, or he, that was not the story. I was a suspect. And, um, and, and Jim Yashimura said, we should bring Dean back. I have an idea of how to, how to finish that story. And so it was, it was Yashimura yeah. who liked your work so much. Yeah. And I, of course, said, are you crazy? You can't bring him back. Did you see what he did? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. Superstar in the making. I love it. So actually, Jim Yashimura is really more responsible for my career than Tom is. That's Ah. right. Shout out, Jim. That's right. I have to get him on the podcast. Yeah. That's awesome. So then when HBO at this point, was it kind of a – was it a vague interest? Like, hey, Tom, we'd like to see – or they were like – they wanted an original piece. What what was happening was um, they were – just they were looking for a scripted series and a friend of mine um rob Keneally, who's now an agent um was over there having a meeting with chris albrecht who was head of hbo at the time and uh chris was saying i want to do a scripted series you know because they were only showing movies at that point and i think they had one half hour comedy uh on on at the time and um and he said, Chris said, you know, we've had some luck with our prison documentaries. We're thinking maybe a prison show. Now, I had pitched versions of Oz at all four of the broadcast networks. And you have to remember, there were no other networks. It was meaning the, the classic ABC, CBC, CBS, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, NBC and Fox. And that was it. There was no cable. There was no, there was nothing except that. So I had pitched it at all these, a version, not the version that we did on HBO. Um, and each time they looked at me like I was insane that I I should just really just go away and please never come back. That was the reaction that I basically got. And so Rob was there and, and Chris said, you know, we're looking, we're thinking about maybe a prison series. And Rob said, I got just the guy to do it. And he left there and he called me in. The, I was in New York and he was in L.A. And he said, get your ass on the plane. There's somebody stupid enough to do your prison show. Wow. And I met with Chris and Anthemopoulos, uh, who were, was working there. And um, I sort of pitched the show and they said, okay. Um, we'll give you some money, make, make like a 15 minute presentation. And, uh, so we shot it while we were shooting homicide. In fact, in Baltimore, in Baltimore, we shot the, the presentation and the dirty little secret is that, um, I picked some locations for homicide 
that we could then use for the presentation of, of us. Um, NBC doesn't Good know. Good line producer. Yeah. NBC doesn't know how much they contributed to the presentation of Oz. Now they do. <laughs> um, I think the statute of limitations is over. Yeah, right? I, think I believe I'm all right. so. I, they I think, can't, I, they can't I think you're me. good. You're yeah. Good. yeah. Um, uh, anyway, so we took it, and what was amazing about it was uh, we finished it, and uh, Chris Albrecht said, well, why don't you and Barry come and show it to me? Now, that's unheard of, because normally you make a pilot or a presentation, and you you send it in to the network, and then you wait yeah. while they discuss it, and the marketing people look at it, and the censors look at it, and everybody at the at the network puts their two cents in and then they they you know agonize over whether to pick you up or not well we literally sat in chris's office i had the, the little dvd yeah <laughs> or no it was the, it was a cassette um i walked in with the cassette we put it in his his machine the three of us sat there and watched it and he turned around and he said okay well why don't we make a series Wow. Nobody didn't ask anybody's permission. He didn't, you know, he just, he was ready to go. And, uh, and so then we, um, we used some of the, the footage from the, um, the pitch from the, yeah, from the, from the presentation to, uh, in the show. But, but we did reshoot, uh, uh, sections. The, the two scenes I remember was the, the beating beating in the, in the shower. shower. And, um, and uh, actually, that's the only one I remember. I think, so. that, I think that was the only one. Yeah, yeah because there, 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 were, there, were, there were different cast members at that time. Yeah. Um, John Seda was the same. He but, stayed the same. But, but yeah. a couple, and Terry Kinney was. And Terry Kinney. But like, I think uh, um, Q-Tip played Harold, Harold Perrineau's part. Oh, wow. No, no, no. The, he played uh, Leon's part. Leon's part. Yeah. Oh, Jefferson Keene. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have. There was no Harold Perrineau part right. at that point. Well, I'm 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 glad you brought Harold up because talk to me about directed dress. How did how, like it's, it's so perfect and the I don't mean this in a narcissistic way, but I think the reason we're all artists is great art is a shot at immortality. And I rewatched the pilot prepping for this video or this interview. And it holds up more than uh, it, it, you arguably could release it today, wow. and it, it would fit right in. Well, and, I haven't watched it since it first aired, and it's so. great. <laughs> and, 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 and and Dean, like, how did how did that come back together? Bringing him back for this one for well, Ryan O'Reilly. Well, in terms of in, to talk about the Harold Perrineau part first, um, you know, when you're doing when we were doing Homicide, we would always have those scenes in the car when the two detectives were on their way to a murder site or coming back from a murder site where they could talk about things, you know, issues, existential philosophy. And and when I did the uh, research, when I went to the prisons to do research on, on, on Oz, what I realized is they don't really share, um, prisoners don't really share in that way. They don't talk about, their feelings yeah. or their philosophies, yeah. uh, unless they're trying to manipulate somebody, uh, which of course Ryan O'Reilly was the best at. Um, but so I thought, well, I'm, I, how am I going to do this? And, you know, when in doubt, you steal from a greater writer than you. And I stole from the Greeks yeah. and said, okay, I'm going to have a guy. And I wanted, um, I wanted a guy who was a minority. 
And then I wanted him also to be uh, in a wheelchair because I wanted him to have a double uh, challenge in yeah. his life that he's he's had to to overcome. And because I thought I felt like that gave him more permission to be a sage uh, in those scenes. You know, the hard thing about writing the character was, and Harold was absolutely stunningly amazing in the part. But I had to differentiate between the sort of all wise uh, Augustus Hill in the chair, yeah, in the in the box, and the and the I'm the, just one of the guys, the character, yeah, and uh, so that was tricky. But um, but then with with happened with with the cast was um, as I was conceiving the show, I thought. Here were the actors that I really want to work with. And, you know, uh, the two that first came to mind were Dean and Lee Turgeson. So I wrote these parts for Dean and Lee Turgeson. Uh, it was, I just said, um, this is going to be Dean's part. Um, the other cast members were people that I'd always wanted to work with, like Rita Moreno or B.D. Wong or... Love B.D. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, or or Terry Kinney, Edie Falco. Edie, well, yeah. Edie, we'd work with. She had played she had played Lee Turgeson's wife on a couple of episodes of Homicide. Got it. So we knew each other, and I created that part for her. Wow. Um, uh, and um, and and then there were people. Then there were parts that I didn't have any actors in mind. One of which was Saeed, um, and. Um, and I was very lucky that a friend of mine, Linda LaPlante, uh, who's a writer producer in, in England, I was having a real trouble, real trouble finding an actor to play Saeed. And, um, cause he needed to have a sort of sense of peace yeah. about him. Um, and she said, there's an actor here in, in England that I think you should, you read. And I said, Oh, well, you know, he's in England. What am I? She said, I'll put him on a plane and I'll send him over. And she put him on a plane and sent him over. And I was sort of panicked because I was like, oh, my God, now I'm going to have to talk to him. Uh, you know, you can't ask somebody to fly yeah. thousands of miles and then just go, okay, thanks. You know, uh, totally. So anyway, Eamon came in and read it brilliantly. And uh, so that solved that problem. And then there was the um, Adewale. What happened with Adewale was he came in and he was – Reading just you know one of the one of the, uh, the the homeboys, and he was terrible. He was absolutely terrible, because, but his presence was so incredibly uh, stunning that I was like, uh, well, I said, sit down and talk to me for a minute. And I said, where are you from? And he said, well, he was born in Nigeria, but he lived in in England. And he started talking about his life, and and I said, well, can you do the scene again? but this time with a Nigerian accent. And he said, yeah, sure. And I said, you can change whatever dialogue you want. I don't care about the dialogue. I just want to hear it. You know, you make it yours. Well, he did it. And I was like, you know, well, okay, that's pretty much the most interesting character I didn't think of. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, and as it turned out at that particular moment, the Nigerian drug trade into America was significant. Wow. So it, uh, it, uh, it folded into the series really beautifully. So it was a great cast because there were people that I knew I could rely on, like Dean and Lee and Edie. And then there were people that were, um, you know, like Adewale, who was 
you had no idea from one minute to the next what he was going to do. Yeah, it, it was it was a crapshoot with him on the set. Yeah, you, you, like a lot a, a lot of the stuff that he does on set um, in, in the scenes was was improv, and he you know he wouldn't tell you, and it, it caused for some consternation here and there. And I'm so curious, how did you get the the vernacular of of prison life, like you know, with Ryan O'Reilly and and J.K. and Adebisi and all these characters? It's you know, that's the great thing about you and Simon's work. It's like, you know, the, 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 the vocabulary, it's so of that world. Well, I'll tell you, it's funny you bring that up because David and I always disagreed uh, when we were working together on Homicide because he wanted to use the slang that was current in Baltimore at that moment. And I said, well, that's fine, except two days from now, it's not going to be the slang. Yeah. Because the minute... Any, like, white people say it. Nobody in the black community is going to say it anymore. Yeah. So I said, hey, we should make up words. But he didn't want to do that. So with Oz, I just made up all the words, all, all the slang words, because it was like uh, uh, they're only going to be of the show. They're not going to come from, um, you know, and I, yeah. had, I had heard a lot of slang when I was doing the research and going to the going prisons. Going to prisons, yeah. Um, and you had a few people that had spent time on the yes. show, like Chuck and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I, uh, but so what I what I was doing was listening to the slang that was in pr- real prisons, and then I was sort of going like, well, okay, that's you know, Maytag means this, so I'll just say uh, Prague, uh, pr- Prague, uh, yeah. Prague. <laughs> I can't even remember anything. Oh, that's that what terrible. they called it. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it, yeah. I mean that the word in. At the time in prison was a Maytag because um, you washed your husband's laundry. Wow. And um, anyway, so I just started making up words. Dean, I got to ask you, so what did it feel like shooting this first season? Like, did you... Did you feel like you were onto something or were you like, oh, man, this this could end at any moment. This is crazy. (laughs) You know, I was just uh, grateful, you know, for a job and... um, and uh, you know, I I I wasn't really, um, I didn't know I I didn't know enough about the world to like have any kind of you know uh, impression or make a, uh, a decision like oh this is going to take off you know it, for me it was just more about really just being humbled out and it was kind of like going to school for me yeah. um, every day was like going to school and I learned more on the set of Oz than I did in any part of my life. Um, so, you know, we were doing things that we had never seen on, I mean, I grew up watching television and we're doing things that I'm like, well, no one's ever going to see this. They're not going to let this happen. But what happened was, is that, and Tom will attest to this, when we shot that first season, not one executive from HBO came down to the set to like, look around, take notes. You know I mean? They, They just let us run wild. Wow. And, 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 but I think... I think what happened was was that I think Tom tapped into a, a vein that hadn't been tapped into, and people just like just gravitated towards it. You totally, know? and you know. and and I'd like to talk about the beautiful Winters family dynamic that came into the Oz <laughs> because you know Cyril and yes. and Scott yeah. Dean's brother came in. Well, and, the, and Brad wrote it, and, and then yeah, yeah. how yeah. did it, how did that all come together? Was Cyril something you kind of? thought about having for ryan's character as his brother or you know tap into the real brother dynamic i i uh, there's there's an inconsistency um uh, uh that i regret to this day um 
in the sense of that I, I wrote in a scene you had with one of the guards, you were making a deal with him and you said something about, or he said something, one of you said something about your brother. Right. And he would have, you know, he made it, the conversation was such, it was very brief, but it was, it was like the brother was a, a thug, but he was, he was normal, right? And when I decided to to bring in Cyril, uh, I had a talk with um, with Scott, and I was like, you know, I've seen you do this kind of thing. I don't know. I, I'm thinking to give you a real challenge, you know, and also to to give Ryan O'Reilly a, re, an, a, a to give the audience a much deeper understanding of him was to have a brother who had sacrificed himself in a way. Yeah. And now Ryan, who is the most irresponsible, Iago-like, trustworthy human being, his brother's now there and he has to step up. And it it gave O'Reilly, Ryan O'Reilly, a level of sympathy that probably it it wasn't as evident up to that point. Um. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And and just you know, and 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 Tom. Tom had known Scott and I as bartenders. You know, when Tom first met us, we were bartending together on the East Side, and he saw the you know he saw the dynamic right away. Right. And I you know I'm 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 older than Scott, but Scott has always been up to that point. He was always like the older brother yeah. to me. So Tom afforded me the chance to be Scott's older brother on television, yeah. in you know, which I which I hadn't been afforded that chance in real life because Scott had had always kind of taken charge, right? So when Tom brought Scott in, it was a really just like it was almost like a healing thing for me in in, in real life, you know, it was like it was cathartic, and you could really tap into it and use it. Yeah, we tapped into it. Yeah. That's and amazing. then, and then, and then, and then he brought Brad in. Yeah. And so, so, so my, my brother Brad was a, um, uh, he just uh, finished school at Stanford and he was a poet. And Brad wanted, you know, he wanted to be a poet. And, 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 Tom, and, and, Tom, <laughs> and I ruined a poet. Yeah. <laughs> and Tom was like, well, you know, if you want to have a family and, and, a, and, a, and a full life, you know, you're not going to make it as a poet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know if I put it quite that way. I would say, I was like, there is no money. In being a poet, yeah, pretty, pretty much. So, 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 I mean, and, and you jump in at any time. But Tom, Tom came to Brad and said, "Listen, I want you to do, I want you to write me two things. I want you to write me a ten-page scene between two characters, right? Anything that you want." And Brad had never written any dialogue before; he's only written prose, right? He goes, "I want you to write a ten-page scene between two two characters." And then I want you to write a one-page scene describing something that you see in the street. Am I right? Mm-hmm. And so Brad, um, I guess like two weeks later, came back, a 10-page scene where he wrote a scene. I, I believe it was an 18-year-old guy who comes back to his local parish to confront the priest who raped him when he was like 12 or 13. Wow. And then the second thing was Brad described a Pepsi can in the gutter in the street that he saw in, in Brooklyn. So – Based on those two pieces, Tom gave Brad a script to write for Oz. And Brad had never written any dialogue before. Brad's first script got nominated for the Writers Guild Award. Wow. Yeah. 
That's incredible. And what a testament. That's so awesome that the dynamic of the Winters and the Fontana family. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah but, 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 but just to be very clear, like Tom, like he did with David Simon, Tom took Brad and he turned him into a writer. Yeah. You know, a screenwriter because Brad had no idea what the fuck he was doing, right? But Tom came in, nurtured him. Like, 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 that's what, that's what Tom does. Like he, he takes actors and writers and he, he finds their weak spots and, and he helps them, you know, adjust and he helps them become better, you know, and that's, that, that's what he does. Well, and, and to, uh, go back to Bruce Paltrow for a second when, cause he really did save my life in terms of gave, gave me a, a life. Yeah. And I said to him at one point, uh, Bruce, I, 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 I how can I ever, ever, ever pay you back? And he said, well, Tom, you can't. But you can pass it on, wow. and that's been my mantra ever since. Pay it I, forward. I am I am only paying back Bruce Paltrow. Yeah, because um, there really isn't a nice bone in my body. No, there's not. And, and, <laughs> and, but but and 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 I have to say that I've taken a page out of that book because I do whatever I can to help someone, you know, uh, in the business like get forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I learned that from Tom. Who got that from Bruce? So you know, I'm on the I'm on you know I'm on the same page as you. That's amazing to hear, and so I'm I'm so curious because it's just you know I think for the audience out there, it's such a different thing to understand. Being the first ever HBO original content as those first seasons aired, did you guys kind of feel like a pariah, given like you were compared to all the major networks, or because it kind of found its audience, did you feel comfortable in what yeah. you were? Yeah, well, while as Dean was saying, while we were shooting the first season, we were convinced that, I mean, we were having so much fun, way too much fun, and we we were just all convinced that this was only we were going to make eight of these, and then. It was going to be over that HBO would go, oh, my God, what are we doing? Yeah. You know? <laughs> but what happened was um, it was exactly what Chris Albrecht wanted it to do. It did two things. One is it reached all of their subscribers in the sense of black, white, male, female, gay, straight. It it. It rang a bell with every single Hispanic, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. De- demographic. Yeah. And the other thing it did is he said to me, "I don't, I don't, I don't care if uh, if the show does huge ratings. I just want to be mentioned uh, on in a newspaper, not in the TV section." And I was like, "What the hell is he talking about?" Well, as it turned out, we were in a in a op ed piece in the New York Times. We were mentioned in an op ed piece in the New York Times. Wow! And he thought that that was better than winning the Emmy. No way! I mean, he just was like, "Yes," because his. I mean, you know, Chris is a really smart man, and he he knew that the only way to get HBO up and above the broadcast networks was to have it be everywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, he'd have put us on the on the cooking page. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? If if he could have. That's amazing. And and I'm curious now to ask because I, I think you guys did 56 episodes, right? Uh did 
did you have an idea of how you wanted it to end as you knew that, okay, I can, I can, I can finish this narrative the way I, I hopefully can. Did you kind of have an idea of an ending at the beginning or did you figure that out as you went along? Well, first of all, um, uh, I, uh, decided that I wanted to end the series because for two reasons, uh, one is I was running out of ways to kill people. And I didn't want to start repeating myself. And second of all, it the show was following me around after we finished shooting. So, you know, we normally when you finish shooting a series, you let it go and you go on to something else. Or you go on vacation or whatever. Yeah. Oz would not leave me alone. And it started, you know, the characters would not leave me alone in my writer brain. And... I got I got to the point where I was like, uh oh, this is starting to get me like nervous yeah. about my mental health. So uh I decided to end this show. Um and I said to them, you know, I said to HBO, I, I think I, I can do another season. Um of course when we finished that season, I immediately regretted having say that was the end and I wanted to do another season, <laughs> yeah. but it was too late for that. And the ending that I had in mind from the beginning uh, we didn't do for um uh, a variety of reasons. Uh, and, um, uh, but I'm happy with the ending we had. Um, I just, uh, I, I've told you what the, what the, uh, my original ending was going to be. Well, my thought was that, um, that there was a rainstorm and that the river of the town, which we had never seen, um, was bridging was bridging you know and and um you you know you hear these stories about how the townspeople go down there with bags of yeah. sand and that then you know they'll bring in prisoners to work with them and i thought it would be kind of wonderful to have this last scene of the people in the town who we'd never seen uh working alongside the prisoners um to save the town that had the prison yeah. that they all wanted to get out of. Oh. You know? What are you going to do? What happened? It was mostly financial. Well, financial, It yeah. was a hard, it was hard to, uh, That's, yeah, it was, a, it would have been a, and you know, a, 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 a Marvel universe moment yeah. as yeah. opposed yeah, exactly. to, uh, and, and through your course, HBO kind of continued to allow you to have autonomy over the narrative. And oh yeah. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. I think in the, Six years, 56 episodes that we did, I think I got a total of four notes from them over wow. that time. And they were all very good notes, um, uh, but um, nothing major. It wasn't like you can't do that story, which yeah. had happened, you know, uh, at broadcast networks. Um, so I, I consider myself very lucky that we were working, we were doing this show at a place that had that it was funny when i first met with chris albrecht you know he he started here in new york he ran a comedy uh club the improv yeah and um so when i went in to see him the first time to talk about oz um he said well you know i don't know anything about drama so i'm going to just leave it up to you to, because you know more about drama than i do yeah and i sort of didn't believe him initially you know, it's the kind of thing an executive will say, and then they start to, you know, tap you on the shoulder. But he was true to his word, and wow. and uh, 
And uh, yeah, God. I don't think he ever came to the set. God bless Chris. I, I, I never. Saw I don't remember him. coming. To- what, what did it feel like for you, Dean, after doing six seasons of that show? Were you were you did you find your place exhausted after that point in the best way possible? You know, I just, I mean, for me, it was, you know, it was, I, I had done guest stars on TV shows, you know, previous to that, but it was, it was my first series. Um, you know, it's kind of like flying, like, like, yeah. like, like flying private the first time, right? And then you're flying coach the rest of your life. Yeah. That's kind of what happened <laughs> with me. Um, <laughs> you're crushing the game, man. But, uh, yeah. but, but, you know, I, um, it, uh, Oz was just like, I just, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was difficult, I think, for a lot of us on the show because when we left that show, we were just kind of like, all right, like, what's going to top this? You know what I mean? And I, a lot of guys have done a lot of great work. Um, I think that most of the guys in the show will probably say that that was the best experience of their, of their, of their career. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was hard to, it was hard that first year out. I mean, the, 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 when Oz ended, I, I couldn't get arrested for a year. You know, for a guy who's in prison, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, get, I couldn't get arrested for. It. But uh, you know, and and then my my first, I think my first job a year later was on Rescue Me, which is a a, a great show. Yeah. But um, but with Oz, it was just like I knew that something special had happened. At the end, we were, we were all very cognizant of the fact that we had just come through some kind of incredible dream, right? And um, so when it ended, I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was gut-wrenching for us, I think, for, you know, for a lot of us, including Tom. I know that for a fact. So, And both as an actor and as a writer and creator, what did it feel like then to all of a sudden see this massive paradigm shift at HBO where they just green light, green light, green light, and they were kind of taken from your note and, and doing things that nobody else did. You know, you, you forged that path. None of that would exist without you. No well, I, I mean, for me, I think the thing that I'm proudest of is that they, uh, at the time, HBO trusted the talent and didn't intrude on the creative process, whether you're a writer, director, or an actor. And so what I'm proudest of is the fact, not that, you know, David Chase did not try to do uh, uh, his version of Oz. Yeah. He tried to do his version of David Chase. And Alan Ball did his version with uh, Six Feet Six Under. Feet under. Yeah. Um, but I think I think what we were able to do was to give the give the network a sense of comfort that if you do trust the creative people, you will get something extraordinary out of them. And so, I mean, I don't think of myself as, you know, the guy who started the golden age of television or anything like that. All I think of myself, well, (laughs) you are all, all I think of myself as the guy who didn't it up enough to make HBO go, well, we're never going to trust another writer again. Oh man, that's amazing! And then after that show, what, what what was interesting you? Were you just so exhausted from long form television? Did you want to do movies? Did you want to take a break and just kind of? No, I I um I wanted to keep doing television and television series, um, and which we Barry and I did uh, did a couple um, that weren't uh, successful. We did a show called the beat with mark ruffalo yeah um which lasted a season um did a show uh with uh matthew modine 
and um, uh, Penn Badgley uh, called uh, Bedford Diaries. Okay. Uh, and and what I love to say about the um, Bedford Diaries is that um, uh, I I'm the only one I know who ever got a network canceled. Because the UPN, the network it was on, no went, way. Out, went out of business. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of a it's kind of a moment of pride for me yeah. to think I, awesome. I not only can get a TV show canceled, I can get an entire network. <laughs> Moving down the line a little bit, I'd like to talk about City on a Hill. Huh? How did how did that come together for you? Was that something that you've been working on? No, no. I um I got a call from Gary Levine, who's the head at uh, Showtime, and he said we have a project, we need a showrunner. Um, we think it's the kind of show that you would appeal to you. And, um, they had already shot the pilot. Um, and so he sent me the pilot and I watched it and I went, yeah, this is, uh, I can get into this. And I met with Chuck McLean, who's created the show and we got along great. And, um, and then off we went, we did do some reshoots, uh, of the pilot. Uh, but then the other nine episodes were, uh, with me totally, you know, being the showrunner and yeah. being in charge. Um, and it, for me, it was ironic because uh, St. Elsewhere was set in Boston and we shot that in the 80s and this starts in Boston in 1992. So I think of it in a first way as, a, as the sequel to St. Elsewhere. Ah. Um, and we actually used, uh, in a, there's a couple of scenes take place in the hospital and we we used the Saint Elsewhere the the exterior as the establishing shot, and you <laughs> wow. can see in certain places little signs that say Saint Elijah's Hospital. Right. Uh, so it's a little wink to the yeah. to the past. That's awesome. And I got to say, and I, and I said this on Dean's interview, what Dean Winters did in his episode oh. is like one of the I would say, pro in my opinion, the best scene of the show. Yeah, I mean, it breaks your heart. I mean, yeah. I mean like. With him and Kevin and yeah. just like, man, Dean, yeah, it, it was so exceptional, like such magnificent acting and it really bro broke my heart. You know, I felt for that guy and as, as someone who's three years sober, I, I, I know, I know that path. And, and well, that, he, that, I, I mean, he, uh, basically what happened was, um, I, I said, there's this part, you read it and if you want it, you, you, you can do it. And because I had no doubt that he could do it, the question was, would it fit into his schedule? And because um, you were shooting the uh, thing with Gabriel Byrne at the time, weren't you? Lost Girls, yeah, yeah. So, um, but it was it was literally a one day, wasn't yeah, it? One day, two days, yeah. two days. Um, so it worked out perfectly. And I just, I mean, everybody from you know the craft service person to the head of the network. Compliment, said to me, man, th that scene is just devastating. It is so devastating. So heavy, so great. Him and Kevin are awesome. And the whole cast is great. And obviously, what, what, what has it been like working with a different network? Have they been really supportive? They've been great. Yeah. They've been great. They They're, give you season two. Congratulations. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. God help us. That's awesome. <laughs> when, when does that pick up? Uh, we're, we're probably going to start shooting again in end of January. That would be my guess. Uh, but, um, yeah, the work goes on. Ah. But I will say this. Gary Levine um, and I worked together in Williamstown 45 years ago. Uh, and um, so it's kind of fun and interesting to be back working with him. And we have a sort of short 
you know, a shortcut way of talking to each other about, totally. about things. And, uh, and he, he doesn't give a lot of notes, but he gives really precise notes where even if you can't do what he's asking, you understand the reason why he's asking for what he's asking. And it's never insipid. It's never like, you know, uh, some dopey note. It's, it's always something that really has to goes to the core of the character work. And, and for those writers out there that are, you know, writing, whether it be scripts for television or film, now that we live in such a content bubble, Tom, do you, do you think it's easier for writers to get story to, stories told or because of the saturation, do you think the market's just so clouded? I, uh, boy, that's a tough question to answer. I think that, um, Hollywood has this very, very, very high wall around it. And um, not many people, they won't let many people over the wall. Um, and so getting that first job is next to impossible. Once you've started to work, once you've gotten, you know, a script or are, are on a staff uh, of, a, of a TV series, then things start to open up fairly, fairly easily. But getting that, getting that first job, I mean... Again, I was so lucky that Bruce Paltrow just said, I'm going to take a chance on you. Yeah. And I was so lucky that Tom Fontana said, I'm going to take a chance on you. you yeah. It's kind of how it works. That's amazing. And I, I'm curious, you know, before we wrap up here, what's influencing you now? Are there any filmmakers, television creators? Like, what, what what's inspiring you? Um, You know, I think I've gotten to the point, because I'm I'm, I'm old, um, that um, I'm just trying to do the best work I can. I can't say that I have any new influences on my life. I mean, um, you know, my swim coach in high school was a huge influence on my life. Uh, Bruce was, Barry Levinson. Uh, I worked with Sidney Lumet, who was an, an incredible influence on my life. Um, uh Mike Nichols, I mean, uh, all the classic uh, New York uh, guys, you know, uh, have inspired me uh, through my friendships with them. Oh, Tom, Dean, I'm hey. so grateful for you guys being here. Thank I'm you, so Ryan. excited Such for pleasure. season two. That sounds good. All right, rock and roll. Thank Great. you, man. All right, Thanks. love you guys. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Ryan. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.